Good afternoon to all. It is 4 p.m. Central Daylight Time, which means that it is time for Bill's study on the Book of Mark here on my Facebook page. If you're watching this a little bit later than 4 p.m. Central Time, you're probably watching it on our website uh, at westerwin.com. Uh, uh, clicking over to that social media and resources link and then clicking on uh, that uh, live streaming channel and scrolling down to where it shows uh, our video archive or if you're watching it uh, there at 6 p.m. Uh, it shows there and also of course on our West Irwin Church of Christ and West Irwin Live Facebook pages immediately following the live version. I know we have several that are already tuning in and that's a wonderful thing. Thanks for doing that. I appreciate that very much. And today, as we look at Mark chapter 14, it's kind of the second part of looking at this great chapter because it is uh, such a significant time uh, for Jesus. Uh, earlier in Mark chapter 14, we read last week about how Jesus was preparing uh, for his, uh, his death. He had been anointed uh, by Mary, as John records in John chapter 12. Uh, and uh, Mark records that in the first part of Mark chapter 14, uh, that anointing. And uh, though she is criticized, Jesus' comment is that she is preparing him. She is anointing him for his uh, death and burial. And I'm sure that takes the disciples by surprise, although it shouldn't, but it does. And, um, and, and rather than taking that wonderful gift and selling it and giving to the poor to others in need jesus says no this is the right thing for her to do uh, and so then he goes on and he talks to the disciples about um, sharing that last meal together that passover meal as mark records it in mark 14 jesus in matthew 26 uh, and as we're going to see in just a moment luke in chapter 22 adds his commentary as well Nice to see my friend Pat with us. Good to welcome you. Also, our, our dear friends, Larry and Lynn Murphy, glad to see you. We had a wonderful assembly live in person this morning at West Irwin Church of Christ, close to 300, 283, I believe. And then interesting today, 206 in our Bible classes. And that's a first time since pre-COVID, I believe, that we have been over 200 in our Bible classes. We have lots of great children's classes, several wonderful uh, uh, adult classes. We have a college young professionals class and we have uh, two adult classes that are meeting and looking forward to the time when we can even uh, increase the number of classes there. But we're uh, a wonderful youth class as well. We continue to be involved in a search for a youth minister and uh, we uh, ask for your prayers concerning that as well. Uh, Joyce was able to be with us this morning and uh, live in our uh, in-person worship service as well as last week and we I talked to one of our uh, older ladies today who was also with us and had been last week others are showing up uh, this today for the first time and others that have been with us for a little while so God is blessing us nice to see my dear sister and friend Barbara Kasky with us uh, enjoyed spending some time with you and the gang for lunch today after church that was a great blessing uh, for Joyce and me uh, so as we look into Mark chapter 14, Jesus has been anointed uh, throughout his ministry. He has told his disciples time and again, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem. He is going to be betrayed. He is going to be delivered into the hands of the Jewish leaders. 
and ultimately the Romans, and he will be um, he will be tried, and he will be convicted, and he will be crucified, and then on the third day he will be raised to life again. Uh, but remember, as we look at this, um, they haven't lived all of that out yet, and it's important for us to remember the timeline as we read through the Gospels. So welcome, Cindy and Eric. Love you all. Uh, love your family so much. Miss you terribly. And uh, glad to see your names pop up, and I'm sure there'll be some others that will pop up as well. So as we look at this, remember joy, uh, that uh, Jesus has just finished the, um, the Passover meal with them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke seem to indicate that was a Passover meal pretty clearly, I think. And um, lots of different things going on uh, in Jesus' mind, I'm sure. Uh, but he reminds them and he uh, reminds us. Uh, through that wonderful Lord's Supper that we celebrate, that he institutes this very night, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. So as we look at the rest of Mark 14, the last half, uh, we see Jesus continuing to prepare for his death. First of all, preparing the disciples by warning them of what's about to happen, and then also uh, preparing himself as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and praise that uh, amazing prayer, thy will be done. So preparing the disciples, first of all, we read about this in Mark 14, also in Matthew chapter 26, a little bit in Luke, and we're going to turn to Luke 22 in just a moment, as I said, and hear what Jesus has to say specifically to the apostle Peter. Uh, and as Mark records it, uh, Jesus uh, focuses on these disciples and also, of course, on Peter. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Quoting from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. But after I have risen, he says, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And we know that that's exactly what happens. In fact, uh, as uh, the women visit first and then uh, they begin to spread the news, Peter and John run to the tomb. The angel tells them, um, Jesus himself tells Mary, look, tell, tell my disciples that I'll see them in Galilee, just as he had told them. Um, but Peter declared in verse 29, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. As Mark uh, Matthew records it in Matthew 26, Jesus cautions all of the all of the disciples and warns them, look, this night is this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And and we read in John 13 through 17, really, especially verses chapters 13, 14, 15 and 16, Jesus shares this last uh, night with his disciples, with his apostles, before he is betrayed while he is praying in the garden. And during that time, as you know, in those chapters in John, uh, Jesus is con consistently telling them, I'm about to leave you. I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't go right now. But I'm going to prepare a place for you, that wonderful passage in John 14. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'll come and get you. And I'll take you to be with me where I am. 
And that is when he has asked the question, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus in John 14, verse 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And it's interesting that they don't realize it as he's saying those words. But what's about to happen is exactly how he makes that possible. How he prepares the way for them. How they can get to the Father through him is only through his death. How we can get to the Father is only through the death of Jesus Christ and the events that are going to transpire that we will especially look at starting next Sunday. In this version, in Mark's version, again, the action gospel, he doesn't spend a lot of time on this. Um, Matthew gives us more, but Mark shares these words and especially this admonition to Simon Peter. Peter, of course, the big talker, reacts and responds to what Jesus says by saying, look, even if everybody else falls away, I won't, which I wonder the other, actually, I don't wonder. I know exactly how they must have felt when they heard Peter. As as soon as he says that, they all chime in. Hey, I'm not going anywhere either. I'll be here. I'll I'll die with you, Lord. Uh, And that was what they all said. But it's one thing to say that, and it's quite another thing when you're called upon to actually offer that sacrifice, to actually stand firm with the Lord when you know it's going to cost you something. For us, it may just be position. It may be a friendship. It may be a job. It may be some kind of standing with people that we're trying to impress. But for them, it was their very lives. And Peter says, I'm willing to do that. Uh, James and John had said earlier they were willing to do that. but And they all say that this night, but we know that it's not exactly true. Jesus, as he speaks to Peter, I love the way Luke records it because Luke shares a little bit more insight into that special time that Jesus talked with the apostle Peter. In Luke 22, beginning at verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, to sift all of you as wheat. And it's such a powerful, powerful statement. And I preached a sermon series a while back. Uh, uh, I I enjoyed that series very much. Uh, On the times in scripture when someone's name is repeated. Abraham, Abraham. uh, God said when Abraham was getting ready to slay his son Isaac at the calling of God. Uh, Here and It's earlier in Jesus' ministry, it was Martha, Martha. Why are you concerned about so many things? When your sister Mary has chosen uh, what is uh, most important, uh, Jesus talking to these women that he loved so dearly as his own sisters, Lazarus and Mary and Martha were like family to Jesus. Here it is Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked for your soul, Simon. And so Jesus gives him a special warning according to Luke 22. But then in verse 32, Jesus says this, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I find those verses in Luke 22, 31 and 32 so amazing and so encouraging to me because there are times when I fall back as well. And, and have any no more excuses than Peter has here. 
as Jesus specifically warns him. And then he says, I've prayed for you, Simon. And he and he warns him so that he won't fall. But but Jesus knows he's going to. And yet, even though he knows he's going to, he also tells Peter, look, Peter, don't let that discourage you from following me. I'm, I'm praying for you still. And when you come back, yes, you're going to fall. But Peter, when you return, I want you to strengthen the others. John gives us that special look into Jesus' conversation, the resurrected Jesus' conversation with Peter in John chapter 20 and 21. Uh, in John 21, Jesus takes Peter aside, and John the apostle is kind of following close enough to hear, but not a part of the conversation. And, uh, and that's when Jesus interacts with Peter and asks him to feed his sheep and asks him specifically three times, uh, Simon, do you love me? And Peter responds with a lesser ver ver version of the word, not agape, but that more familial term, that brotherly term, phileo. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus asks him again, and same thing. And then the third time, Jesus uses the term that Peter had used. It may be that this man who was always the first to speak up, always the first to act, this time uh, can't find it in himself to commit to what Jesus is asking him to do because he knows, in spite of the warning, he has specifically failed Jesus. This morning in our Bible class at uh, West Irwin Church of Christ, we began a new study on the, on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit and his work in Acts, in the book of Acts, and also in his work in our lives and in our churches today. And we talked about that moment in Acts chapter 1 when the disciples have gathered after Jesus' resurrection, after his ascension, and it's Peter who speaks up. Uh, what a brave thing he must have felt to do. But it's Peter who speaks up in that group of 120 or so, and he tells them, look, Scripture said that this was going to happen. It said that, that one of his followers would fall away, and it also says that we are to make sure that his position is uh, filled with someone else. And that's when they choose Matthias to become uh, an apostle. And later on, Saul of Tarsus would be called. In another instance where uh, someone's name is repeated, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, but here in this case, Peter's big talk, all the disciples' big talk, that they will follow him even to death. And Jesus says, well... I know you won't. And Peter, you specifically, before the rooster crows twice in the morning, you will have denied me three times. Um, I don't know that anyone else did that. And certainly there's not anywhere recorded that Jesus warns anyone else that they're about to do that. But he does that with Peter. And yet again, those words in Luke 22, when you come back, I want you to strengthen your brothers, knowing full well that Peter would fail him. Jesus also tells him, you will, you will come back and I will have work for you to do. It's just an amazing interaction. As we read in those chapters in John 13, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, John 14, talking about that moment where he's going to prepare a place for them and how he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, John 14 and 15 and 16, all talking about that comforter, that Holy Spirit that he will send to be with his disciples after he leaves. It's a, remember, they have spent every waking moment together. 
uh, for around three years, uh, thinking that he was the Messiah, coming to faith that he was the Messiah, and now he is about to be taken away from them, and their hopes dashed. And and we find that that story of doubting Thomas, as we call him in John chapter 20, when Jesus appears to the other 10 apostles, Judas Iscariot, of course, has already killed himself. But now Jesus appears to the 10 and they tell Thomas, hey, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, I, I don't have it in me to go there again. I need to see it for myself. I need to put my finger in those nail holes and I need to stick my hand in his side where that spear went through because I don't think emotionally I can, I can do this again. And Jesus, as he always does, gives us what we need, gives Thomas what he needs. A part of that is warning them ahead of time, and that's what this passage is all about. And then in John 16, Jesus begins that great chapter by saying, look, there's going to come a time when people are going to put you to death thinking that they're serving God. That's how bad it's going to be. And that great chapter, John 16, verse 33, ends with that wonderful, amazing, amazing verse, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, verse 33. We don't get all of that in Mark's gospel. We don't get all of that in Matthew or Luke. We hear that extended version uh, of Jesus' interaction with the 12 apostles in the gospel of John. But we know that it's there. And Jesus warns them and he warns us, in the world you're going to have trouble. But I've told you ahead of time that you will. And I've told you that so that even in the midst of trouble and conflict, you can be at peace. And, and you can also have not just peace, not just hope, but even joy. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And then they leave. And now that Jesus has prepared his disciples, he has one more thing to do before he is arrested. And that's pray. Uh, if you've been around me much, you know that uh, you've heard me say this. There are two words that are the biggest reason why we should pray in Scripture. And it's very simple. Jesus prayed. We see him praying all night long before he chooses his 12 apostles. Luke records, others record Jesus getting up early in the morning to pray, praying late into the night, uh, going off by himself so he can pray. Jesus prayed. We must as well. If Jesus felt like he needed to pray, how can we not feel it even stronger. And so the rest of, of Mark chapter 14 deals with Jesus praying and then ultimately being arrested and the trials begin, which we'll look at starting next Sunday. In Mark chapter 14, we read Mark's version of this prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14, beginning at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Peter, James, and John get a little bit of an inside look uh, at times as he takes them a little bit further into the garden, and he takes them up on the mountain of transfiguration that the others don't get to go on, and he takes them into the room when he is going to raise the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue leader, from the dead. Uh, it's Peter, James, and John that get this extended view, and it's interesting to me that those three, the closest three to Jesus, one of those three dies very young in the life of the early church. 
In Acts chapter 12, it is James, the brother of John, who is the first apostle killed. Stephen had been martyred earlier at the hands of the Jews, as we read about his great sermon in Acts 6 and then his death. And uh, now in Acts 12, it is James, the brother of John, not the author of the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus, but James, the brother of John. And Peter, James, and John go with Jesus a little farther into the garden, and he tells them, deeply distressed and troubled, Mark says in verse 33. And then in the next verse, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. I really love Mark's version here because Mark seems to pull out those heart-wrenching terms that describe Jesus' great pain, the emotional trauma that he was going through, deeply distressed and troubled, my soul overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, and he asks them to pray. He takes all the disciples into the garden with him, and then Peter, James, and John a little bit farther, but he's asking all of them to pray for him. It's not just Jesus praying, but he's asking for those closest to him to pray as well. Verse 35, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. That's a significant word in John's gospel. The hour is coming. The hour is coming. He tells his mother in John 2 when she wants him to act at the wedding feast in Cana, my hour is not yet come. And then finally, when those Gentiles begin to ask for him and Jesus uh, talks to them, um, he says, the hour has come. A very haunting statement. Here, Mark records it in the same way, but he records it from the perspective of Jesus praying, praying that if possible, this hour that is before him might not actually have to happen. And then he says this in verse 36, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Romans 8 tells us that we can pray to the Father with the exact same heart and the even exact same term that Jesus uses here at the most crucial moment of his life, Abba, Father. Paul in Romans chapter 8 talks about how we did not receive a spirit of slavery unto death, but that we received the spirit of adoption. And it's through that spirit, that Holy Spirit, that we cry, Abba, Father. That's, that's how Jesus addresses the Father here, that very close, very personal, very connected, very intimate word for Father. Jesus says, Abba, Father, and he prays, if possible, let this hour, let this cup <clears throat> pass from me. Um, and I don't think anyone can say that Jesus physically, humanly wanted to die. He didn't, nor do we. And yet Jesus has told us, as we've seen in this study of Romans on Sunday mornings at West Irwin Church of Christ, uh, he has called us to be living sacrifices, to offer ourselves, our lives, just as he did, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus every single day, uh, whether in life or in death. That's how Paul saw it in Romans chapter 14 and 15, as we've seen today, but also um, in Philippians chapter 1, when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <clears throat> that should be our attitude as well. Jesus prays, Father, if there's some other way, let's take that road.
And yet Jesus says, as you know, not my will, but yours be done. The wonderful Hillary Scott and her family have that incredible song, Thy Will Be Done, that plays on Christian radio at times. It's just a powerful, powerful song because it's a powerful statement from Jesus. It's a, it's the prayer that he taught us to pray in the Lord, what we call the Lord's Prayer. He prays that he tells us that we should pray for the kingdom to come and for thy will to be done. That's a very dangerous prayer. It's a very, it's a great prayer of faith because what it's saying is, Father, I'm not sure what you want to do here. And we may lay out for him just as Jesus does here. Here's, here's my vote. <laughs> here's my desire. But we always remember that we add this in, not my will, but yours be done. Thy will be done. Aren't you glad that that was Jesus' prayer? He didn't stop it at, let this cup pass from me. Let this hour not have to, let me not have to go through this hour but rather he continued on in prayer, thy will be done. Verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Can you imagine after what Jesus had told them in, in, in their time together in that upper room? Uh, even Peter, he says, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it's real easy for us to be critical of Peter and the other disciples. But have you ever spent a solid hour praying? Have you ever been up all night praying? Well, some of you have, I know, because of something that was so crucial, so difficult. You were so burdened. Maybe a loved one that was on the brink of death or a family that was falling apart. Perhaps your family. Uh, great financial pressure, great emotional pressure, uh, pressure within the church. Paul himself would say, to the Corinthians, above all the beatings, above all the imprisonments, above all the, the, the left for dead moments, the shipwrecks, everything, the, the burden I feel the most is the burden I have for the churches. Uh, such godly men who serve the churches as shepherds. We have wonderful godly shepherds at Western, and I'm sure you do as well. And we need to hold them up in prayer because they're holding us up in prayer. They feel that same burden that Paul felt. And Jesus going to the disciples after an hour of intense prayer, going to them and saying, hey, look, couldn't you keep watch for just an hour? I've warned you how important this night is. I've warned you what's about to happen and how you're all going to fall away. Shouldn't you be praying <laughs> that it won't happen that way? Shouldn't you be watching? And yet they could not. Jesus himself acknowledges, I know in your heart and in your soul and in your spirit, you want to do that. But I know that the flesh is weak. Um, and so Jesus goes away once more. This is now uh, the third time. He uh, goes away and prays the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him uh, after he came back the second time and then returning the third time. Now the time for prayer is over. The time for preparation is done. Now is the crisis now is the fire returning the third time verse 41 jesus said to them are you still sleeping and resting enough the hour has come look the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners rise let us go here comes my betrayer again the haunting statement the hour has come throughout the gospels it is 
the hour is not here. The hour is coming. The hour is coming. My time is not right. And now it is the hour has come. And Jesus, perhaps sharing a little bit of frustration, perhaps sharing a little bit of disappointment, but knowing what these disciples are made of, just as he knows what we're made of, what we're capable of, he, he says, okay, time for praying is over. Uh, now it's time to act. Uh, let's go. Let's go. And Judas is going to lead the Jewish leaders right straight to Jesus. They were looking for a way to arrest him without involving the crowd because they were afraid of the crowd. At this time, the crowd was uh, thinking that Jesus was somebody important. And certainly during the Passover, they wouldn't want to see something like this happen. And so they needed an inside track. And that was Judas Iscariot. When he comes to them and he tells them, I, I can I can give you what you want. How much is it worth to you? And as you know, they give him 30 pieces of silver, which he later tries to give back. And they, they, they won't take it. It's blood money. And... Um, and then Judas goes out and hangs himself. Jesus wakes up his disciples and says, look, enough. Uh, time's up. Time for prayers up. There's a time to pray. And then there's a time to act and to live and to do. And Jesus tells them, look, you have you've slept away the time to pray. Even after I warned you so desperately, it's time to go. As we consider that great chapter in John 17, the chapter where Jesus prays, where John records the whole chapter in John 17 of Jesus' prayer. And I think that he's talking about this prayer uh, that he prays in the garden. Uh, John records it and he has three different segments. First of all, Jesus prays for himself at the beginning of John 17 that, that the Father would continue to be with him and that he would have the strength to do what the Father wants him to do, which is to glorify his Father. Scripture tells us that Jesus took that statement from the Old Testament and said, I have come to do your will. And that's exactly what he does. That's what he just prayed. Not my will, but yours be done. And so in the garden, he prays that same thing. Father, uh, may your will be done. Glorify your Son uh, that I might glorify you. The way that happens is through his death, as we know. Jesus prays, first of all, for himself in John 17. And then he prays for these disciples, these sleepy disciples, these men that had said, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be with you. Even if it means I have to die with you, I'm going to do it. Peter, the loudest of the bunch. And so in the garden, Jesus prays for those sleepy disciples that he has begged to pray for him and to keep watch with him. And yet they could not. Jesus prays that, that the Father would help them through this time. He had talked to them, told them, warned them, I'm going away, but I'm going to send a part of my presence with you, that Holy Spirit, that comforter, that advocate, that paraclete. I'm going to send him to you. But now they're sleeping, and now Jesus needs them, and they all are going to fall away. And Jesus knows it, and he's warned them. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then in John chapter 17, he prays for you and me. Because that's that chapter includes these words. And, and Father, I pray not just for these disciples, but for all of those who will believe on me through their message. That's us. That's you. And that's me. 
And in that, that great part of the prayer in John 17, Jesus uh, prays that we would be one, that everyone would see our unity and our love for each other and our love for our Lord, and they would realize that, that we have been with Jesus, that he is our master. Uh, that's what Jesus prays for us, those who believe through the message of these sleepy, weak disciples. Ultimately, they would be enduring those days and uh, weeks of prayer, waiting for that Holy Spirit to come. And then finally, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, he comes and they're strengthened and they preach in the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Uh, but tonight, we're not seeing that strength at all. Tonight, even though he's warned them, they all run away. Just as Jesus did, we prepare ourselves for what will one day come for all of us, just as it did for our Lord, and that is death. Jesus knew it was coming. He knew it was going to happen. He prayed to the Father that there might be some other way, but he also realized that it was the Father's will that would take precedence and he was willing to submit his will to the Father's will and we also must submit our will to the Father's will. Just as Jesus did, we prepare ourselves for the next life by living an active life, a life of prayer and a life of obedience to the Father. Uh, living by faith is what we're called to do as 2 Corinthians 5 says, but not just living by faith, even facing death by faith. That great honor roll of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with examples of people who, as the writer of Hebrews says, were living by faith when they died. I love that statement. That means that they died by faith just as they had lived by faith. We are called to do the same. And we can do that only because our trust and our faith is in our Lord. Our Lord who spent this night in prayer, who spent that time with his disciples and therefore with us, who gave us his word so that we might be at peace, so that we might have his joy, peace and joy that the world can't take away, sharing that last supper with them and instituting the Lord's Supper for us, his church, so that just as we did today, we can take that bread and remember his broken body as we're going to be reading in the next couple of Sundays, and that we can also remember his shed blood that cleanses us from our sins, but so that we can also remember that that tomb is empty. And it's because of that, that we like Peter and the other disciples, even though we have failed him tremendously, we hear him say that same prayer for us that he prayed for Peter. When you have come back around, I want you to strengthen the others. It's that same call for us today. And as we leave the garden of Gethsemane and we hear the, sound of a small group of soldiers coming uh, armed, fought, led by one of Jesus' closest disciples, Judas Iscariot, to the place where Jesus would be without the crowd. We're reminded of the great sacrifice that our Lord and Savior has made for us. Uh, what a blessing it will be to relive that difficult time that brings about our salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll see you next Sunday.